Welcome, everybody. I'm Aubrey Byer. And I'm Shaylin Smith. And you're listening to The, the Resolute. Resolute. I have a question for you. Right. I, this is a would you rather. Okay. Would you rather eat a baby goat? <laughs> I thought you were going to stop at the word baby. It was like, <laughs> oh, end no. of the conversation. The Donner episodes are <laughs> over. Would you rather eat a baby goat or a matter baby? What's a matter baby? Nothing, sugar. What's the matter with you? <laughs> so oh my gosh. I told that joke to the kids last night and they lost it. And Chad loved it. So he called his mom to tell her to say it to her. And of course she was like, a what? And he's like, a matter, baby. And she's like, a, a matter? And then she's like, what is that? <laughs> She nothing say, yeah. went along oh, it was no. so funny. funny i know it like her response was funnier than if she had <laughs> fa- like fallen right in, in line it right. was so cute that's funny oh man we were we were all laughing so hard <laughs> <laughs> so we are on um not really part two but kind of because they joined together but this episode is on helen keller and we ended the previous episode with Anne Sullivan, who had just an incredibly difficult life and really created so much opportunity for herself and never stopped learning, never gave up. And she, um, at the end of last episode, meets Helen Keller. And so this, this episode is going to focus on Helen Keller's story. Um, I'm going to set the scene for you and we'll dive right right in. This um, next section is, it's a little bit long, but it's a quote from her, it's um, direct passage from her book called The Story of My Life. And the book she wrote when she was about 20 years old and she was still attending university. And it's a really awesome, they did a great job compiling the book because she tells her whole story from her perspective and just it's, she's an incredible writer. And then later on at the, towards the end of the book, you have inserts from Anne Sullivan Mm -hmm. on kind of how she, um, you know, what it was like teaching her and how from her, from Anne Sullivan's perspective, what Helen went through and the discoveries that she made and things like that. And then there's also letters that Helen wrote, which are really great because they start when she's really little and there's no punctuation, no punctuation. There's, you know, it's very simple Mm -hmm. because she hasn't learned fully how to use language yet. Right. And then they start to smooth out over time. And so it's just, I highly encourage anybody to read the book. She's an incredible writer. And then, um, yeah, I, this is just like a factual storytelling of her life, but the book is so, so beautifully written anyway. Okay. The most important day I remember in all my life is the one on which my teacher Anne Mansfield Sullivan came to me on the afternoon of that eventful day. I stood on the porch, dumb expectant. I guessed vaguely from my mother's signs and the hurrying to and fro from the house that someone unusual 
was about to happen or something unusual was about to happen. So I went to the door and waited on the steps. The afternoon sun penetrated the massive honeysuckle that covered the porch and fell on my upturned face. My fingers lingered almost unconsciously on the familiar leaves and blossoms, which had just come forth to greet the sweet southern spring. I did not know what the future held of marvel or surprise for me. Anger and bitterness had preyed upon me continually for weeks, and the deep anger had succeeded this passionate struggle. Have you ever been have you ever been at sea in a dense fog, when it seemed as if a tangible white darkness shut you in, and the great ship, tense and anxious, groped her way toward the shore with plummet and sounding line, and you waited with beating heart for something to happen? I was like that ship before my education began. Only I was without compass or sounding line and had no way of knowing how near the, the harbor was. Light, give me light, was the wordless cry of my soul. And the light of love shone on me in that very hour. Wow. That is touching. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and yeah, so um, Helen Keller, she was born June 27th in 1880 in Tuscumbia, Alabama, which that is the coolest sounding town I've ever heard of. Um, her dad, his name was Arthur Keller, and he was a captain in the Confederate Army. So, um, and they were also, he and his wife, uh, Catherine Everett Adams, they called her Kate. Um, Arthur and Kate owned um they were actually part considered part of the slave. It's called the slave holding elite. Okay. So really wealthy. They um, had many slaves before the Civil War. And then after the Civil War, they still had a decent amount of wealth, but their status had dropped because obviously <laughs> we know who won. Right. Um, her mom, Kate, was the daughter of a Confederate general. And their ancestry was of Swiss ancestry, which is one of the things that I learned through her book. One of her ancestors in Switzerland was the first teacher for the deaf in Zurich. Wow. I think that's, is that how you say it? Zurich, right? Yeah. Um, Never met her or anything like that, but I was like, talk about a legacy, you know? Yeah. (laughs) When Helen was 19 months old, she got an illness and to this day they speculate on what that might have been one of the things that they think it could have been was meningitis Mm. but it robbed her of both sight and hearing wow 19 months old that's crazy yeah i know there's so many like sicknesses like that that used to be so much more like prevalent and i'm so grateful (laughs) i know (laughs) that we don't have to deal with that i know as much I, I totally agree like that oh and to watch your baby yeah that'd be really really sad my, well, my baby is that old yeah and so i can't imagine like you know on a daily basis he's <sighs> out there looking at all the different vehicles and the everything in nature yeah. so like that would be a total total life shift even at that young age you know like, and for you as a parent yeah too yeah the age that your child is right now yeah He's making so many new discoveries. Right. And it's so fun to watch. Every time that I see him, he's has new words and yeah. he's starting to speak and he's 
pointing things out and he's so thrilled with life. He has such a zest for it. I can't imagine as a parent to watch that shut down and just turn off. And now you have this poor child that is so confused because they are still, they had this vision and they had, you know, they could hear sounds and now suddenly it's gone. Suddenly it's gone. And, you know, he's not at an age, just like with Helen, you know, she wasn't at an age yet where she was speaking super clearly she yeah. just started to learn, really. Yeah. So um, in her youth, she learned some crude signs that the family came to recognize. Like if you put, if she would push somebody, if she wanted them to go, she would pull them. If she wanted them to follow her, um, she would nod if she wanted something or um, she would do things like if she wanted ice cream, she would shiver like the point point like find the fridge yeah and then like shiver you know yeah. to show like she wanted something cold yeah uh she had a childhood friend named Martha Washington and she was the daughter of the cook for the family and she and Martha Martha um r- really came to understand Helen's signs they spent a lot of time together and Helen ended up kind of creating about 60 different ways to communicate signs wise that she created on her own and Martha knew all of them. So, um, it was pretty easy for them to play and get along and think, I'm so thankful that she had, you know, that they had each other. Um, and they would get into trouble often because they would do things like steal a whole cake from the kitchen yeah. and then hide behind the garden shed and eat it. That is so classic, isn't it? That's <laughs> it's so, so classic. Funny. That's some Zamperini yeah. going on. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. I know. It's just so, I'm just imagining these two little girls like huddled down, just giggling. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, one of the things that was said about Helen too is she would it, smile and laugh naturally. So, like, even though she didn't speak, she would laugh. And, I mean, I always knew, like, laughter was kind of a natural thing, and it's pretty universal. But to hear that was just made me so happy. Like, so when she felt joy, she was able to express it, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. However, not when she was not understood or not understanding other people... It infuriated her, as you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, we were just, before we started recording, we were talking about how frustrating, like the um, age that your child is right now, how frustrating it is for him yeah. because he will think of something and he's trying to communicate that to you, but you're not understanding him. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. Like they get she would describe it as being fits of passion. Yeah. And it's such a great description because it's not, ju- it's not just a tantrum. You're not just like wildly for no right. reason. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like the inability to communicate is infuriating regardless of who you are or who you're talking to. Yeah. Like, it's just, there's no worse thing. I think. Yeah. And being misunderstood. Yeah. Oh Yeah. There Especially no at that thing. age, too, uh, mm-hmm. as a kid, you know, like you are trying to encounter the world and everything like that. And so 
you probably have so many questions inside of yourself, but without the ability to get any kind of information. Yeah. Like, I just can't imagine. I know. And because they understand so much more than they are themselves are able to communicate. Right. With her, she had neither. Like, she didn't understand so much, but ha- had a want for it. Yeah. But then couldn't communicate right. as well. So yeah. it's, I, this, oh, my heart just like goes out to this poor child. Yeah. Um, she could tell people apart by the different vibrations that their footfalls would make. So if somebody was walking, like she knew when her mom entered the room as opposed to her dad. How interesting. Or, yeah. yeah. Isn't that fascinating? That's really cool. Yeah. I, know, I just, just never would have of, thought about but, it. But, you know, I, I can relate a little bit to that because if I'm downstairs, all the all of my kids' bedrooms are upstairs. Yeah. I know exactly who's By their steps on the down. stairs? Oh, yeah. Because you, they have their distinct, yeah, yeah. pattern. Like and, and they, yeah, the they way. have their, my oldest will skip three stairs and like hop, hop, hop. And he's a big guy, so it's loud. But even without the loudness... I know immediately that you can almost like hear him take off and you're like, there he goes. And then my middle child, he'll do like two skip, two skip. And then my daughter's like, diddly, diddly, diddly. <laughs> it's like this little cadence, you know. That's so funny. I know. That's cute. Her favorite activities when the weather was good was to be outside. And I can totally understand why. I mean, there's so much to experience in nature, even without having sight or sound just the different textures and feeling things and like she you know says at the beginning um the sun just shining warming your face Mm -hmm. and um she loved to explore the garden she would feel different little insects or like the webs of spiders not having any knowledge or understanding of what those things are but it was discoveries that she could make. Yeah. And so she spent a ton of time in the garden with Martha. So in 1886, her um, her mom actually reads Charles. We mentioned in the previous episode that Charles Dickens had visited the Perkins School for the Blind and um, wrote about it in his book called American Notes well, Helen Keller's mom is reading this book and realize here that's the first time that she had heard about Perkins School for the Blind because they, you know, they live in Alabama right. and this is up in way up in Massachusetts. And she had in his notes that he writes about, he writes about Laura Bridgman, who was both deaf and blind and had been educated at that school. And she was the one who had become friends with Ann Sullivan. She heard about Perkins School. She doesn't contact them yet. I think, too, just because it's so far away. There was nobody close by that could help them Mm. with their daughter. Um, I think so she's trying to find somebody closer that might be able to help them or at least advise them. So she contacts um, a man named J. Julian Chisholm. And he's an eye, ear, and throat specialist, and he's up in Baltimore. And through his contact, um, he puts them, he refers them to Alexander Graham Bell, which I imagine. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, is there like another one? <laughs> no, nope. it's the Alexander 
Graham Bell, who famously, I mean, he had many inventions, but um, he created the telephone. Yeah. Just a brilliant mind. But he was working, what is interesting to me too is like, he was working with deaf kids Mm. and, um, you know, just trying to find ways to help them. And uh, that's why he was part of, you know, this story, which is like, wow. Yeah, that's so interesting. I know. And he ends up becoming a lifelong friend of Helen Keller later on. I know. It's really fascinating. So Bell is the one who refers them to Perkins Institute for the Blind. That's kind of where to start. You know, with not being able to hear, if you can still see, you're seeing the signs, right? You're seeing people's lips move. um, Whereas if you're blind, you're having to do it by touch. And that was the sense that she was going to have to use solely. Um, And obviously, if you're blind but can still hear, there's a lot of instruction that you can receive. But with Braille and learning um, how to read Braille, that was just a game changer. So after being referred to the Perkins Institute for the Blind, they, um, I think her dad, I want to say it was her dad that takes her up there for the first time. And so this is up in Massachusetts and they meet Michael and Agnes and he was the one, you know, Ann Sullivan had studied there and he dispatches Ann Sullivan Mm. to come to the family and to be, she essentially, not only is she the teacher, but she becomes a governess to Helen. And this was the start to an almost 50 year long relationship between the two women and it was just a constant companionship and they it's in amazing um the things that they do so the day that helen meets anne helen from that day forward refers to that day as her soul's birthday oh isn't that that's like so sweet i know wow it's so sweet um as a like kind of a gift you know a welcome not welcoming gift but uh, like I'm your teacher here's a gift for you Anne brings Helen a doll and she hands it to her and lets her explore it with her hands and then finger spells into Helen's hand the word for doll hmm. and Helen just gets mad because she doesn't understand she knows something should be happening with that action but she doesn't understand so she just gets mad and like throws the doll and it was a port it was like a porcelain doll and of course it like shatters yeah um and but through time and throughout the next like several days and weeks she just and keeps spelling things out so she'll hand her an object and helen will feel it and then she spells it into her hand and helen would start mimicking it she calls it like a monkey-like action where she's just repeating it she's not she had no understanding. Yeah. She would just do it back because Anne would try to form Helen's hand into those shapes. And so Helen knew, like, okay, I'm supposed to do this shape with my hand, but did, had no understanding why. And it wasn't until a month after Anne's arrival that it totally clicks. And um, Anne has, she's pouring water over Helen's hand. Or, 
and spelling the word water over and over and over. And this is a quote from Helen's book. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of my of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, and set it free. Mm. That's so amazing. It really is. And oh, what a discovery. Yeah. And to finally, I mean, in a sense, she's now seeing. Right. You know, like there's this. Like she says, this awakening. Yeah. You have to wonder if that's how it is for like babies learning to talk. If they're yeah. just like, because I've definitely seen where, you know, they're just doing the repetitive thing. But then like that kind of, oh, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like what an interesting, it's just happening at an older age for her. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, and I wonder that with your baby, because, you know, he'll point to each of us and just say, our names over and over and he'll point to himself yeah. and point to us and yeah. just it's so cute and it's like he's making that connection and he's so excited about it yeah. you know yeah i love it yeah that's so yeah that's so amazing like i don't know it just makes you think about like all the different people in history in the world today just who don't have an ability to communicate or communicate well and yeah. so just being able to like at this time just the right person came to her Mm -hmm. and just opened the door it was just i don't know that's so cool yeah that's so awesome really really cool so um after this moment she starts rushing around to everything and touching it and like grabbing ann's hand and having ann spell it out for her and would spell it back and it was just it must have been so as the teacher that must have been so thrilling yeah. to witness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just, I mean, I know for me as a coach, when a kid understands and gets a new skill, there's nothing more gratifying. Yeah. It's like, yes. Oh, yes. You know? Yeah. And, but this obviously is on a whole right. other scale. Right. I mean, you have opened, she opened the world yeah. for, for Helen. So Helen picks up the doll and she says she felt such immense remorse because she now understood and she tried to repair it and bring Aww. it back to That's to really Anne. sweet. I know. But I get it. I mean, I would have thrown it too. Like, yeah, you're like, why are you doing this? Get you know? out of here, yeah. So a year later, uh, Anne and Helen attend Perkins School for the Blind. So they move up to Massachusetts, the two of them. And I... Anne was 20 when she started working with Helen. Um, there, she learned Braille, and she learned how to start to write. So at this point, she's starting to make full sense, you know, in her letters. They're so sweet, because at first, it'll say, um, she. Ke- I think she keeps saying did for the past. So, like, mother did give me... Right. Or mother did run or like do this or 
for the actions for meaning in the past and there was no punctuation but then she really quickly once she starts to fully understand language and how it works she becomes an excellent writer really early on and when she was 11 she wrote an entire story and it was called the frost king and it's the story of these like fairies that find this um box of jewels and the sun melts the jewels and they pour over onto the leaves giving them different colors mm-hmm. for like fall you know like the different colors of, yeah. yeah however so she writes the story and she sends it to mr anagnus who's you know running the school as a birthday gift and he loves it so much he ends up publishing it in the mentor the mentor was an alumni magazine for Mm. perkins school and then it further gets published by the good son gazette which was a journal um that the whole journal was about uh deaf blind education Mm. well somebody ends up reading it through the good son gazette and it sounds exactly like another story And the other story is called The Frost Fairies, and that was written by Margaret Canby. And Helen doesn't, you know, she's brought before, she's told that this could be plagiarism, and it sounds like it could be a fraud situation. And she's 11, first of all, this part infuriated me when I, oh my gosh. And in her book, when she's talking about this, she, there's an entire like two chapters dedicated to this scenario because it really, really traumatized her yeah. for a long time, for yeah. years. She was terrified to write for years after this. She's 11 years old, first of all. Okay? Any 11-year-old, even if it's almost the same story as somebody else's, you have an 11-year-old that's passionate about writing. Yeah. You know, like, that's that, can we know? just encourage she, that? She didn't ask it to, for it to be published anywhere no. either is the thing. She wrote right? it and, and, you know, take them aside and say, you know, this sounds a lot like this other story. Um, but I think what ha- this is what I perceive is that Mr. Anagnus was really embarrassed because he had published it. Right. And now and it now reflected like, on him right? poorly. So they take her before, like, the um, school board, essentially. And she gets raked over the coals for this, for for this potential plagiarism. But she doesn't ever remember hearing the other story. But it's also highly possible, uh, clearly somebody read it to her. Right. You know, yeah. or... Because um, Anne would often read her books and by Anne would read and spell it out for Helen to hear quote unquote and so that's um she clearly had heard the story but didn't remember and then had this idea and thought it was her own right and that is the part that is heartbreaking to me is that from that point on Helen questioned every single thought wondering if she even had thoughts of her own or if they were all stolen Ooh. Can you imagine oh, that? That's really devastating. It's so sad. And she's so small. Yeah. You know, and so every single thought, it wasn't just 
she didn't want to write again. She was terrified that even her inner thoughts weren't hers. Wow. That she had heard them and they were bubbling to the surface somehow. And so it took her a real, it's like PTSD. Like she was truly traumatized by this. And it really damaged her relationship with Mr. Anagnus, which, shame on him. I mean, Honestly, come on, sir. she's a child. Yeah. She's a child. Who Talk- just learned how to communicate, like, three years ago. <laughs> Calm yeah. down, sir. Yes, That's and I so feel like, up. take her aside and explain. I know we're, like, going on on this for a while, but this this made me so mad when I, yeah. when I read about this. Um, she really does not at all recall hearing the story and when she read the original story she realized she must have heard it right and she agrees she's i had to have heard that i don't remember and i i i don't know like i really felt like i had come up with that yeah and um oh just yeah i think it's it's because it's relatable because we've all had that experience yeah like wow look at this cool thing and it's like well actually it's this and you're like Oh, I didn't even realize, you know, like I for sure, I wrote this song when I was a kid. I was probably like nine or 10. And then I heard it on the radio and I was like, wow, oh. how'd they do that? You know, like Someone I was, stole my, song. my mind was boggled. And obviously later I was like, oh, clearly I just heard it and didn't yeah. fully register, and you, just thought, oh. you know? So yeah, like that's just yeah. what kids do. It's, it's like, just what kids do. Exactly. Not a big deal. No. Well, that's sad. That's messed up. I know. It is messed up. So um, after this, she... We'll move on from that. So um, after this, she... Cl- hold on. One more thought. <laughs> One more thing. <laughs> Clearly, she does get over this because she becomes a phenomenal yeah. writer later on. Yeah. And I'm so thankful because she's very good at writing. Anyway, um, then she goes to finishing school, which finishing school is just... Crack me up. What is that? That sounds like that's a groomer or something. Like that's lit- literally what it is. You are finishing schools were designed to give women, young girls, the proper etiquette and mannerisms. Oh, woman, so things. that they can be released into society. AKA married off. AKA married off. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. That is exactly what. And they're still finishing schools to this day. I looked into it. I didn't it. know that. Me neither. That's so funny. They're not called finishing schools anymore. But it's there's schools out there that are just there to t- teach you like refinement and social graces. Isn't okay. that bizarre? Right. I always am really fascinated by that kind of thing because like it just seems so stupid to me. I know a lot of it. Like yeah, I would love to learn. You know, sewing. And certain skills because like But that's more I like home ec, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. But that's like, actual skills. Learning not like just what how to hold to your use. head when you're walking. So yeah, which fork to use. Pinkies up, ladies. Like who cares? <laughs> I did find cares, out I know. I did find out some of the finishing schools. This is this is actually really badass. So um these were almost always women run because they would be these women would be it's a boarding school. You live there and these women would be teaching these girls how to behave how to sit how to spread your napkin um (laughs) but there were also some of these schools were run by um future suffragettes 
but during the time where they would run these schools, they would actually give them a very rigorous education. So <laughs> I know, I'm like, yes. And I love that because they had to do it under the guise of finishing school. That's the mom I would be. Yeah. Like if my husband was like, we have to send our daughter to finishing school, I'd be like, I know just the one. And I send know, her just to the, the one, Henry. <laughs> you know, so but I thought that was really cool that they would kind of do it a little under the wire there and um but they would give them an awesome education and of course teach them social graces so that they could keep doing what they're doing fascinating just like if you really think that giving someone an education like you must like you just must be afraid of what would happen after that right like (laughs) i know i'm afraid of these girls having education because then what well and what does that tell you you know that they're smart you know they're they're capable capable, and you're worried about it what a weird thing or they think it was wasted it was wasted finances wasted time i mean but it's worth it to go learn about forks and napkins (laughs) all right touche i say for sure for sure (laughs) Oh, so after that, um, in 1894, when she was 14, she and Anne moved to New York and here she goes to the Horace Mann school. She had, there was a few kind of in between schools that they would attend, but this was a school for the deaf and they went there because there was a woman there named Sarah Fuller and she was a specialist in teaching deaf people how to speak. And with their voices. And so um, she trained there with her for quite some time and tried to learn the different vibrations and how to, um, there's a method called the Tadoma method. And this, there's actually a video of Anne Sullivan and Helen Keller demonstrating this method. And I think I kind of described it a little bit, but like in the previous episode, but Helen would have her hand on Anne's face and she would have one of her fingers on her mouth so she could feel the movement of her lips and tongue one on her nose and then like her thumb on her throat so she can feel the vibrations she could feel the nasal sounds and um that was how she learned how to speak and it's just really fascinating to me um in 1986 they move back to Massachusetts and she goes to the Cambridge. When I say she, Anne is with her this whole time. Um, so it's the two of them. And this is the part that's just Anne attending all everything with Helen. I mean, talk about an education for her as well. Yeah. You know, she's not only having to learn all of these things, she's then having to teach all of these things right. to Helen. Right. So that's like some Talk about rhetoric, just woo, just yeah. turning it around as fast as she can yeah. to teach Helen. It's an, it's incredible. Anne Sullivan is just amazing. Yeah, there's something to be said about teachers, especially good teachers. Mm-hmm. Like it, because yeah, you, learning how to teach somebody, how to teach this particular person, learning everything yourself, like it's it's a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of work, and that's it's just amazing. It is. It's not it's not for everyone yeah and not everyone should do it if it if it's not for you because that is just a failure yeah for anybody that isn't willing to find a way for kids to learn it's not just it's not my way or the highway when it comes to teaching children yeah you have to be able to 
be in a place of wanting to learn yourself to learn how to get kids to learn. Yeah. And that is something that is missing often, I think. So, uh, night, I put 1990 in 1890 at the age of 20, Helen Keller, um, receives her admittance letter to Radcliffe college, which is an offshoot of Harvard university. Nice. Um, brilliant mind. Mark Twain was one of her admirers. Yeah. My put mind. that that's like, in what? her little pocket of awesome, amazing friends. And he put her in connection with um, standard oil magnate. A magnate is like a super wealthy businessman. Um, Henry Huddleston Rogers. And Henry and his wife, Abby, paid for Helen's tuition. Wow. Yeah. All through for all That's of her amazing. time at Harvard. That's it's very really generous. amazing. <laughs> I know. How cool. It's really cool. Um, so in 1904, Helen graduates, but she graduates and she was the first blind, deaf person to earn a bachelor's of arts degree no. in the world. In the world? Yeah. Dang. I know. That's and so cool. not to mention, I, I don't, I wonder if. I want to find this out. I wonder if Anne Sullivan got a degree as well. Yeah. You like, how could you not? How? Yeah. But maybe she, she maybe she that has wasn't what all she, the information. Yeah. So. That's wild That's so to think about. Um, Helen loved music. This is just kind of a like little side note, but she loved music and she would sit really close to, if she was anywhere that music was playing like a, band or well what do they call them back then quartets yeah or (laughs) Or the piano she would just put her hand on the piano or she would sit really close so she could feel the vibrations yeah and she could feel the rhythm right so even though she's not hearing the notes right the beat and the rhythm she can still enjoy one of the best things about like live music Mm -hmm. is being able to feel like physically yeah the the bass or whatever i know i think so too and like the drums as i mentioned helen was a phenomenal author and she would go around and also give speeches she would give speeches on her literary work but also speeches on advocating for people with disabilities right she and ann traveled to more than 25 countries to do these like tours and speeches Mm. um which is just incredible she was also a suffragette, wow. of course, because she's amazing. Um, she started the Helen Keller Foundation, or sorry, the Helen Keller International Organization. She started that with George A. Kessler, and that was a found, or an organization that researched vision and health and things like that. Okay. And in 1916, she donated quite a bit of money to the NAACP. Wow. And she felt very ashamed of the treatment of colored people. Mm. And so she wanted to give back, which I think is really poignant too, just with her family having been yeah, one of the slaveholder elite, you know? Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't yeah. realize that she like, was like an activist. I know. Too. That's really cool. Yeah. Cause she's so famously known just, you know, like when you hear about her and you don't, you know understand all these other things that she accomplished yeah there's so many facets to her story that are incredible right the fact that she became an educated deaf and blind person in the era that she did yeah is incredible so then often these other accomplishments we aren't known you yeah. know because yeah. just 
every part of her life is very fascinating. Yeah. In 1920, she helped found the American Civil Liberties Union, and this was a human rights organization. Wow. She was very much like a member of the Socialist Party, and um, the Socialists, it's a political philosophy that they want the control of property and natural resources. They believe that that should be public and not privately owned. Um, And I can, I mean, this isn't, I can see why she would, you know, be in very much alignment with that. I'm not going to talk about my politics on here, though. (laughs) Um, She was among being friends with Alexander Graham Bell and Mark Twain. She was great friends with Charlie Chaplin. She met several U.S. presidents. And um, she would use these connections sometimes just to help benefit anyone, you know, as a platform, too, to help raise knowledge, education, um, funding for... Yeah, her, she's of her... using these like relationships mm-hmm. of with p- people in really well known positions and positions of power to kind yeah. of elevate, you know, the plight of the lower, right? Like yeah. anybody who has a disability, yeah, people of color, you know, yeah, that's really amazing. I know, and I think I know Mark Twain and she were very much aligned politically, and um, I. <laughs> Especially with her um, disabilities, I think she just looked at people as a whole mm. and just wanted good for everyone. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, that's she just felt really immensely for anybody that had a disadvantage, you know, for uh, poor people. Right. Um, she really believed that children deserved the same opportunities no matter what their social status or economic status was. A quote from her is, uh, I I owed my success partly to the advantages of my birth and environment. I have learned that the power to rise is not within the reach of everyone. Yeah, dang. And that's true. That's very true. It's incredible. Like we were talking about Ann Sullivan's story. It's amazing that she was able to. Yeah. That is true. It's not always within the reach of everybody. It really you know? isn't. Yeah. And to recognize that as a person mm-hmm. who was able to have opportunity. That's like, such yes. A big and deal. to recognize like her, she had those opportunities. But, and that probably because of that, though, I think probably further and, you know, knowing, I'm sure she knew Anne's whole story. Yeah. Who she was somebody that didn't have those right. advantages that that Helen had. Yeah. As far as, you know, social status and financial support, I think gave her such a well-rounded view on, or just a very open, yeah. open-eyed view of the circumstances for people. And that if she had been born into a different circumstance, she... Her life would have been totally different. Oh, man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think she was not naive to that at all, clearly. Yeah. Um. Okay, so there was there's this magazine or um newspaper called the Brooklyn Eagle, and they so I had mentioned that she was a socialist, and they had done many articles on Helen Keller before, because at this point she's world renowned, like people know they know about Helen Keller, and um they had 
written in the past that she was courageous and intelligent and all these like glowing, you know, just this amazing words about how phenomenal she is. But then after she had voiced her political views, they wrote that, um, quote, mistakes sprung out of the manifest limitations of her development. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. And here's her response. This is awesome. This is a mic drop Helen moment. Quote, at the time, the compliments he paid me were so generous that I blushed to remember them. But now that I have come out for socialism, he reminds me and the public that I am blind and deaf and especially liable to error. I must have shrunk in intelligence during the years since I met him. Oh, ridiculous Brooklyn Eagle. Socially, er, er, oh, ridiculous Brooklyn Eagle. And referring to them, they're socially blind and deaf. <laughs> it defends an, intoler- an intolerable system, a system that is the cause of much of the physical blindness and deafness, which we are trying to prevent. <laughs> I love that. That was such cool. a zinger. Like calling the Brooklyn Eagles socially blind and deaf. I'm like, yeah. um, so she was also a supporter of eugenics and which that, that <laughs> yeah, I was like, we forget about that part of our history. <gasps> don't we? <laughs> um, I think about eugenics often. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like, wow, dang. Oh, my God. (laughs) But I think, you know, this is speculation on my part, but from her perspective, she clearly had several, you know, flaws growing up and she knew the struggle and in her mind, probably ways to prevent that. I do not support eugenics. Let me make that clear. (laughs) We we don't do that. We don't do that here. (laughs) Um, Helen Keller wrote and published 12 books and lived her life with a constant companion. So Anne Sullivan was her her companion for almost 50 years. Yeah. And Anne did get married. She married um, a man named John Macy in 1905. And with her being Helen's companion, um, John moved in with both women, which that sounds weird, but imagine the times. Okay, it's yeah. not weird. Don't make it weird. Um, but they their relationship didn't last super long. And I I just imagine, I mean, Anne is fully committed to Helen. And these women have been together for so many years. I think introducing anybody else into that bubble must have been so difficult for yeah. for everybody, yeah. you know. And it sounds like he was a really great person. Like it that he um had helped, you know, with some of their travel. He had helped promote these speeches that Helen would and Anne would do together. But they did separate. They stayed living in the same place, but they separated. They never formally divorced, but um, he did eventually leave and go on to whatever, whatever he went next. Yeah, huh. yeah, it is interesting. Um, they hired a woman named Polly Thompson and she became their live-in housekeeper. And Polly was a Scottish woman. She had no experience with deaf or blind people or how to help them or anything. I thought you were going to say no experience with cleaning. I was like, that's hilarious. Okay. Duh. 
Oh, that's funny. Who am I kidding in that time period? Of <laughs> anyway. I just love the name Polly. It's so that's cute. Name, yeah. And I'm imagining her with this little Scottish accent, yeah. you know? Um, but she, even with, you know, in just in living with them, eventually she does become Helen's life companion. And I don't mean in a romantic way. You know, she needs, Helen needs somebody that can help her, yeah. you know. Um, so Helen does have a love affair in her 30s. And there's not a lot known about about it. Oh, interesting. She became secretly engaged and they had planned, they had attempted to elope. Oh. And I don't know, I want to know. I don't yeah. know what happened there. Um, but they, they didn't get married. Oh. And they didn't stay together. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But so, her family didn't know about it. Like, nobody knew about it. How interesting. I know. How'd she Isn't do that? Spicy? Yeah, that's spicy. <laughs> Give me the tea, Helen. <laughs> I know, Helen. I want more. I want more information. How'd she keep that a secret? Incredible. From Anne and Polly, too. Well, her lips were sealed. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't even think Anne knew about it. Wow, I know, incredible. Yeah, cool. I know. It's so it's so fascinating. <laughs> That's how I am. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just I'm like, I'm not. I don't. Know. Is this secret? I don't know. <laughs> but then I blab about a lot of other things. So so you know. Who knows? Well, <laughs> um, unfortunately, Anne's health ends up taking a turn, mm-hmm. and she passes away in 1936 and towards the end of her life too she does become fully blind mm. so it is really fortunate that they that Polly was there yeah because now she could you know assist both women and she dies in 1936 with Helen Keller holding her hand oh. isn't that just ugh, like <laughs> got my heart yeah Polly and Helen stayed companions and they moved to Connecticut and they ended up traveling the world together. And I mean, they went, I think it was like 40 different <laughs> countries. It was, wow. it was great. 35 or 40. Good Lord. I know. That's so I'm many like, places. Holly, go and yeah. go in places, you know? <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't think in my mind, you're like coming to be the cook. She's just, or the house cleaner. She's just coming to be the house cleaner for yeah. this, you know, deaf and blind woman and her teacher companion and then ends up becoming the companion and traveling the world. How cool. How cool. Sweet gig. Sweet, real sweet gig. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so Polly ended up having a stroke in 1957. Gosh. And... Um, Helen hires a woman named Winnie Corbali to be her nurse and to care for Polly. And I just love how much like Helen takes care of the people that she loves and cares about, you know? Um, And Polly does end up passing away in 1960. And then Winnie, the nurse becomes Helen's new companion and she would be her companion until Helen passes away. Um, Helen had a series of strokes in 1961, and she spent the final years at her own home. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Wow. I know. It's the highest civilian award in the United States alongside the Congressional Gold Medal. Wow. 
which I didn't even know. Yeah. You know, I'm like, wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, I knew a lot, I knew quite a bit about Helen Keller before re-researching in a sense, but I didn't, I didn't even know that. Like, that was incredible. Yeah. In 1965, Helen's elected into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Wow. Like, yes. Yeah. I want to look that up. Yeah. And just see who's on there. Yeah. I've never looked that up. I've never even because thought I think, to. Because um, I think Harriet Tubman's in there, too. I think so. I thought she was. Well, but now i got to find out. Yeah. Uh, Helen ends up dying in her sleep on June 1st, 1968. And she was buried next to Anne Sullivan and Polly Thompson at Washington Cathedral in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh. I know. But that's a long life, you know? Yeah. And what's so cool is even though, you know, this had taken place in the late 1800s initially, there's really amazing film footage out there. Right. Right. And yeah, it's just really cool. That is cool. So I'm going to end with a quote from Helen Keller. And she says, The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. I know. That was good. That was good. And that's the incredible story of Helen Keller and Anne Sullivan. I feel like... I have no idea any of this information about Helen Keller. I feel like I remember, like, we learned about Helen Keller, but I didn't know she was an author. No, I, I didn't f- know she yeah. was an activist. I didn't know yeah. she did all these things. Like, I had no idea anything about her. I know. Well, and I feel the same about, like, Harriet Tubman. Remember yeah. when we did that one? Like, yeah. you know, she was a black woman during the Civil War yeah. era. Yeah who helped people escape. That's all I knew. Slavery. That was it. Right. With Helen Keller, when I was a kid, all I remember, and maybe it's all I remember, but I also truly believe they did not go it's into a, it's just a any of these details. Paragraph, right? Yeah. And you're just like, oh, she was blind and deaf, mm-hmm. blind and deaf and learned how to communicate. Yeah. That's like, it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What a weird, that's so weird. I know. I'm like, she's, phenomenal yeah and Anne Sullivan equally so yeah yeah and so I, it was my pleasure to dive deep yeah and I, there's so much more but I just can't can't do it all you yeah. know but there's so much more out there about her and I want to read more of her books yeah because I've only ever read um the one that she wrote about her own life but I'm really fascinated she's a beautiful writer and I really want to read more of her books. I had no idea she had published 12 books. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. I know. Wow. Well, thank you guys for joining us. <laughs> I didn't know how to segue well, that's that. that. Folks. That's that. Thank you for joining us. If you want to be a supporter of the podcast, you can do so at Spotify or Patreon.com. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and... Happy fall, everyone. Happy fall. I'm ready for Christmas. Amen, sister. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) If you don't like fall, well, we hope you make it through by listening to our podcast. (laughs) There you go. We're here for you, even in fall. Even in fall. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week, people. Bye. Bye.